I have the privilege of introducing you to a new friend of mine, although I've known about him for some time as our guest speaker today. Uh, Interestingly enough, you ever have those people that you see and you're like, I'm going to be friends with them. They don't know it yet, but I am going to be friends with them. And uh, I had that moment with Chris a few years ago when my wife was in BSSM2. He was transitioning a worship set there at school. And uh, I saw his his hat he had on. I don't know about you guys, but I, I kind of pick new friends on the basis of their outfits. You know what I mean? I'm like, that. I like that outfit. I should know that guy. You know what I mean? I'm, a, I'm an avid people watcher. And so I saw him transitioning worship and I saw his hat. I was like, man... I want to be friends with him. And uh, here we are a few years later now, and he is preaching. And for those of you who were here uh, some time ago, his brother, Mike, uh, preached to us. I think it was, has it been? It's been over a year. We were at 4 p.m. at the time. His brother, Mike, preached to us. And now we have the opportunity to have Chris. Chris is the young adults pastor of Tribe at Bethel Church in Redding, California. So as we welcome him, Legacy Family, I'd ask that you stand and really honor him and bless him. Give him a big hand as he comes to preach to us today. Chris, I'm crying from a single mother's thing over here still. Jesus. Woo. I'm a cry baby. I'm a cry a bunch. Um, hi, I'm Chris. Good to see you guys. Good to hang out. That's my family. I miss them a ton. That is my wonderful wife who is the dream come true. You know what I've started to realize something? It's something so small that I realized I needed a change in my language. Um, and it's just personal. Here's something I used to say when I'd go and preach places. I used to say I married up. And for some reason, that f- feels like I'm saying you married down. And I said, no, no, no. You're my dream come true. You're my dream come true. You, you didn't, I, I didn't marry up in a way that you looked at me going, oh, I guess I'll take him. No, I'm like, no, no, no. I dream, you're a dream come true. And so she's my dream come true. And that's my heir to the throne. Uh, King Solomon over there. He's, he's a stud of a man, just a tank tank of a boy um and then i have a beautiful uh princess being born in august a little girl yeah so it's we are expanding we sang that in an uh, offering i'm like yeah my yeah my territory is growing it is happening so yeah that's that's my family that's, and I, as lyle said i'm the, I'm the young adults pastor at bethel uh, i've been at bethel for like almost 10 years a lot of unique connections here feels so fun uh, to be with you guys because it feels so natural it feels so smooth to see faces I normally when I travel I may see like one or two faces that I know but today I think I bumped into like almost like 15 people that I know beautiful face I don't know if you guys know this but Junior um, Asaph and Savannah all interned for me and when they were in school ministry you should talk to them the scars that they talk to you that they're healing through came when they were interning for me and so that that was that's the healing they came here for um and then if you guys know mason or aaron we were all roommates and i've got stories stories of people that are just so funny um so it's it will be anyway love them dearly we had a ton of fun with those guys lots of memories of doing someone doing karate in my front lawn in their boxers. Mason! Um, in his underwear. Just one day I looked out my window and I see Mason doing this. In his underwear. In my front yard. And I'm like, who is that? And I go, 
Mason Aaron is doing karate in his underwear. Yeah, a lot of good times with them. So it's, it's super fun to be with people and see people I know and connect to and see. But hey, but before we start, um, you want to hear fun, a couple of fun stories? So the other day I got an email from one of the girls that leads on our team and she said to me, hey Chris, during communion, what we do at communion at, at our young adults, we do it once a month, we do it in groups. And so you just take communion in a group of people and then in that time it's ministry time. So you ask if you need prayer, you, you ask, ask for it there. And I told them, hey, this is also a great opportunity for you to confess if you need to confess anything. It's a great opportunity for you to tell somebody, hey, I'm struggling with this, I'm going through this, I need prayer. So this girl confessed an eating disorder. And so she confessed that they prayed for her during communion time. And in that time, her appetite came to her. And then in that, she went out to eat afterwards with the group of people. In the night, she dreamed about eating and dreamed about meal planning and has started to take all these great steps just from a moment of communion where she said, hey, I'm just going to confess this is what I'm get, going through. And I'm going to do this. We had, we had another girl one time. We called out a, uh, the Lord was healing a jaw. And a girl who um, just hit the ground just sobbing because when she was younger, she had broke her jaw and over time it grinded away at her jaw and almost times it would seize her jaw shut to the point where she couldn't open it. It was severely painful for her. Uh, they would have to do multiple injections into her jaw, uh, pain medication every single day. Um, and so she had given up hope on any of that and singing or anything. She had given up hope completely. So I was transitioning worship and I just said, hey, the Lord's healing a jaw. And she fell to the floor crying as that happened for her. And then in that moment, she stood up and she opened her jaw and it popped. And so she went home and took her, what she had to wear was a, a massive retainer that would chain around her head and her mouth. She'd have to wear it every single night and take pain medications every single day. She took her... Uh, took her retainer, threw it in the cupboard, shut the cupboard, and said, I'm not taking the pain meds. Went to sleep, woke up, her jaw popped again, and she's never had pain since. And she's never had, yeah. Amazing, amazing. Super fun. So fun. But I, I, I was in worship, and I, I started to get some, some stuff for some people, so I wanted to make sure we got an opportunity to pray for a few groups of people. Um, if you're struggling with dyslexia, um, you may have had it your entire life and never thought anything about it. I just want to show you something fun. If it's in, it's in here somewhere. I got to find it. Here it is. I got all these little loose. If you're a pastor, you always got loose papers in your Bible. It's somewhere. There it is. There's a few of them. These are notes from people who have gotten healed of dyslexia and write their notes saying, this girl said, um, thank you for your words and prayers. I've never been able to write so clearly. God is so good from Rachel. So I want, I want to pray for those who have dyslexia. Uh, it's something I go after, and we've been seeing incredible breakthrough and people in the moment changing and being able to read what could, they could not read before comprehend. I had a kid in Ireland who's failed a test five years in a row, get prayer, through that read an entire textbook, no problem, next day, took, next week, took the test that he's failed multiple times, passes it. His teacher is in shock of him passing this test, says, what happened to you? He says, I got prayer at church. He goes, I'm coming to church with you. And comes to church with him because of his dyslexia getting healed. So if you had dyslexia, I'm going to have you stand up in a moment here. Uh, infertility, I know that might feel raw and vulnerable, but I felt the Lord say, hey, pray for infertility on Mother's Day. Um, uh, a nerve damage in the left hand. If these are any of your things, could you just raise your hand that way? I, I can actually know if I'm hitting any of this. Um, so dyslexia, infertility, nerve damage in the left hand specifically. There's like a numbness that happens. Uh, or if it's the right hand, we'll take it. I saw somebody, anybody have that left hand numbness? Okay, there and there. Um, and then um, does April 12th mean anything to anybody here? 
April 12th and the name Foster? Is that your birthday? Yeah. And the name, does the name Foster mean anything to you? Are you, are you a foster parent? No. Okay. Oh yeah. Right. And yeah, you're an, say that again. You're down. Yeah, I just like April 12th, there's something connected to foster. I don't know what that is, but we'll bless you too. So we're going to pray for you too. Again, you got prayer too earlier, so I ask God. So if any of those things are yours, please stand up. I want to pray for you and I, I'm going to get, and if you're not, it's not you, get ready because you're on the team. And so we're praying. Uh, so stand up if it's for dyslexia, infertility, nerve damage, uh, we'll start there. So go ahead and stand if that's you. And so if they're around you, here's what you're going to do. You're part of the prayer team right now. And so I need you to put your hands on them. Find out. Don't pray yet. Don't pray yet. But I need you to go and talk. Just go quickly around them. You don't have to get out of your seat. You can, if you're right around them, that's fine. Find out what it is that you're praying for, though. Ask them, what, what's going on? What are we praying for? There should be a little bit of sound in the room because some people should be talking. Okay, so find out what it is that we're praying for. Don't pray yet. Don't pray yet. Okay, so, um, all right, Legacy, we're going to do this. This is going to be great. All right, so don't pray yet. Don't pray. Listen, when we're praying for healing, we're not, we're not begging God to do something he doesn't want to do. We're not trying to convince him to do something he is reluctant to do. Okay, and secondly, Jesus said, be healed. We're not trying to convince God that this is his will. No, and we're not saying, God, this is your will. No, we're going. Your will is to heal. Not sickness, not disease, not torment, not pain. Nothing is his will like that. So we're going to pray that heaven would come to earth. So we're just going to declare for you to be healed. We're going to command your body to come into alignment because there's an authority given to us by Jesus to change wrong things and make them right. And so find out what it is and begin to pray over them. And, and I'm going to pray over you guys as you pray for them. Make sure you use your mouth, though. Um, and actually use your words because there's something about actually praying. Ready? Three, two, one, go. Father, I thank you for the healing anointing that you release to us, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do amazing things. God, and we ask right now that you would release a healing power through them. Dyslexia, I just speak to the brain. I say all chemicals, all water levels, everything would be into alignment and all damage would be reversed. That from this moment, you would have comprehension. From this moment, you would have understanding. From this moment, you would be able to put words together. Words that are floating on pages would no longer float on pages that they would actually come synchronized in Jesus' name. And those that have nerve damage, I pray that right now that God will restore all that it is, any ligament to, uh, problems, any muscle problems, anything caused by trauma, we say go in Jesus' name. Anything done by a surgery uniquely in Jesus' name, we say heal their body right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you wanted to get pregnant, Father, we pray right now that there would be a release of that right now, that you would do something amazing in them that would enable them to have children. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay. Go ahead and have a seat. But if you have dyslexia, I want you to actually read something while I'm preaching. And if you all of a sudden recognize something is different while I'm preaching, do not worry about interrupting me. I want to know what happened. So if you're like, I, I would encourage you, go find Romans 8. Read Romans 8 while I'm preaching. Don't listen to my message right now. Read Romans 8 and see if there's a difference. If there is a difference, do not be afraid. Wave your hand at me if you're like, ah, oh, it's a little much for me to shout at you. Wave your hand at me. That way I can see if there's a difference. I fully anticipate that something changed for you right now. There's not, 
I'm, I'm sorry, I just want to see it when it happens. So if, you're, if that is, just wave at me when it happens when you read and you're like, oh my gosh, there's something different going on. on. I'm stalling a little bit to actually allow yourself to realize that and start reading. And so, praise Jesus. Okay. Um, when, so Asaph asked me, hey, what are, you, um, what are you speaking on? I'm just looking to make sure I can see a hand. I thought I saw a hand. I was like, oh, I'm about to stop. Um, Asaph, I was like, hey, what are you going to speak on? Can I get a title for it? And I said, yeah, um, I'm going to talk about faith, mystery, and presence. And so the thing I want to talk about is going to feel raw at times. It's, going to feel, it's very honest. It's part of something even myself navigating and going through and trying to figure out on my own as well and t- taking off a piece of who I am and going, all right, let's dive into this. Let's dance with this idea. Let's engage with it. Let's move back and forth. Uh, so we're going, to, we're going to run with this. But something that I feel so, so deeply about with this is this idea that the Lord is doing something inside of us to where he is making us so aware of his nature that we would put confidence in him that we would put confidence in him. And there's this reality that we need to understand how God wants to anchor us. Okay? I'm going to invite you into a moment with me with me and my son. Um, my son was born. He's helpless. He's laying in a crib. And I am overcome by the reality that my son is there. He, is, he can't commu- communicate with me outside of crying. Right? So there's not really this back and forth dialogue quite yet. It's... He's crying, and that's when we know something might be wrong. Um, we don't, you don't actually quite know. It's kind of like just in the dark. Um, but he, he's looking, and I'm looking. He's helpless. He actually cannot, without me, it's just, it ain't going to work. And so looking at him, realizing, okay, he doesn't have any, of, any ways of communicating with me, no ways of asking me for anything, but yet something is inside of me that is driven to make my resources his. There's something inside of me that says, I will care for you. I will climb mountains. I will cross oceans. I will care for you. And you can't even communicate your desire to need it. You can't even ask yet. You see, my provision for my son is not locked up in his perfect request. It is behind my heart for him. And so in our relationship with God, the dynamic of understanding his care for us beyond our ability to ask for it, beyond just our ability to say, I've got the perfect prayer that nailed it, and now I have confidence, because there's a difference between confidence in that and confidence in his nature. There's a difference. There's a difference. And somewhere along our journey, with faith and God, there can come this moment where faith looks like what we believe rather than the person we trust. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Faith can look like I've got answers to what I'm going through, therefore I have faith for this because I have answers for what's going on. I have understanding and we've flip-flopped Hebrews where Hebrews says, by faith we understand, not we have understanding, therefore we have faith. Hebrews says, by faith we understand. And so there's this reality that we've changed faith as an intellectual ascent and a cognitive reasoning that actually hinders us at times from anchoring ourselves in his presence. Because it's a unique moment for us because what we do is we feel as confident in, in God as we have answers for what we're going through. Wow. Wow. So... Interestingly enough, Jesus has his moment in John 4, and he quotes what is happening in Numbers 4. 
And so what happens is this, and I'm sorry, not Numbers 4, it's verse 4, but it's chapter 21. Numbers 21, where the Lord tells Moses, take a serpent, put it around a pole, and lift it up. And whoever looks at it will be healed. Whoever looks at it will be healed. Jesus says in John 4, the Son of Man will be like Moses, like this, when Moses lifted up the servant, the Son of Man will be lifted up and whoever believes in him. Mm-hmm. Jesus reveals to us the nature of believing and it's not having the right answer. Yeah, it's looking. He calls a synergy in this moment and that same way that Moses said, whoever looks at the serpent, Jesus says, whoever believes in me. So there's this connection in this moment Jesus is drawing to that faith is this looking at him. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yes. I would like to remind us, we should not be worried about the level of our faith, but the object of our faith. We're not to be thinking about, oh my gosh, do I have that much faith for that? No, it's, can I see him? I used to tell people, I used to tell people when struggling with pornography, finding myself in the room by myself, feeling the swarm coming at me to take over me in a way, I knew this, if I could see him, I could get out of this. And so I knew I just need somebody to show me him right now, or I just need to see him. And if I can see him, I know I'll be like him. You see, we, we've, we made, at times we've made faith this like repetition of truth. Well, even demons can recite truth. And so it's not the idea of the reciting of truth. Okay, truth matters. I'm like, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Like, yes, the truth matters. But Jesus says, I am. There's a difference between him being our refuge and ideas being our refuge. It's easier to belong to ideas than it is to God. It's easier to feel like we have this sense of confidence in when we have answers to things rather than embracing the mystery. And mystery can come in the moments of unknowing, moments where just our world is undone from great pain, chaos. I don't understand what's going on. Or mystery can also come by great expansion of love. Like, oh my gosh, it's overwhelming. I don't know what to do with all of this. Or stepping into something great that you've decided to push past your limits. Like for me, buying a house and sitting in my house freaking out because I'm going, oh my God, I did this. I did this. It's this reality that sometimes for us, we... We, we feel like worry is responsible. We feel like it's responsible to talk about our problem in a way that doesn't increase our awareness of God because what we talk about it in a way that goes, we need to be realistic. So let's talk about the problem. And then there's this worry that we have that makes us feel like we're taking it seriously. And we go, I got to be responsible. So, yeah. But the, the thing is that happens to us is when you see, same thing that happened with Peter, right? So in this beautiful moment where Peter is asked by Jesus, you ever wonder why Peter tell, asks Jesus, call to me? Yeah. He's in this moment where Jesus is walking on the waves and he says, call to me. Why? Because faith comes by hearing. Romans says, and hearing by the word of God. And the word of God there is rhema. It's this idea of God's voice to him. And Peter knows if God asks me this, I can do it. 
So he says to him, hey, call out to me, Jesus, because if you say it, then I can do it. And so he has this moment with him where, and then it says this, G, then it says this, Jesus calls out to him. Peter walks, start walk, starts walking on water. And when he does this, he's looking at Jesus while he's doing this. Then it says this, then looking at the waves. You see, we don't have autofocus. We have a manual focus where we actually have to make sure the object of our faith is in front of us, not our faith. And so then Peter got impressed with the size of the waves, therefore the size of his God shrank. And so when he, when he got impressed and he got responsible with worry, he got res- look at the size of that wave. Oh man, I'm, I, oh, can I do this? And so and for some of us, our hope levels only as strong as our forecasting of problems. Like you can go, you could say, I, I can predict that's going to go sour. So let me hedge my bets. Let me do this. Let me do that. Let me do this. I've got this solution here. And there's not a confidence in the nature of God. There's a confidence in your ability to solve problems. And so what, 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 I'm not saying that there isn't, forecasting isn't important. I'm not saying that we don't think about things. I'm not thinking, like, oh, we're not solution. No, 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 no. We do that. But what, there's a difference between anchoring yourself and what Proverbs says here. Trusting the Lord with all your heart, not your own understanding. And later on in verse 26, it says this, that the Lord is your confidence. Yes. You see, here's the thing. We'll get into our great spot of comfort and good. We feel awesome about our moment, right? We feel great. We're like, <clears throat> great, we got through this. And then we go, okay, well, what's coming? Well, I know that financial thing's coming. I know that financial thing's coming. I know that financial thing's coming. So you know what? Oh, we could do that. We could do that. We could do that. I could pick up that job. I could pick up that thing. I could pick up that thing. I can do this. I can figure it out. There we go. Oh, I feel so much better about my life. I feel so much better. And all of a sudden, we've never actually allowed God to anchor us in his nature. We've allowed him, we've allowed ourselves to go, hey, let me figure out how I'll solve my problem because I cannot live in a place where I do not understand. I cannot live there. And so, no, Jesus goes, no, you may have to give up your understanding so that you may live in the place of trust. And so there's this anchoring in his presence that is so different than anchoring yourselves in statements. It's Jesus, Jesus, when we do this, right, when we allow ourselves to, to, if I could say it like this, when we allow ourselves to give up the idea of pragmatism over presence, which is this, my addiction to solving the problems practically over his presence nurturing me. It's do I allow his presence? Do I allow his presence to anchor me in his nature? See, the question that comes out of that moment is this, can I trust him? That's the question that comes out of a dependency on his nature over a dependency on our ability to solve things, navigate things, forecast things. It's a question of his nature. And the leper and Luke says to him, if you're willing, you can make me clean. You see, it wasn't a question of his power. It wasn't a question of God, do you, Jesus, do you have the power to make me clean? No, no, no. It was a question of, is your intention for me? So when we rely on the presence and we don't, it exposes the reality that we don't actually feel his intentions are for us. You see, see, fear, fear is this. Fear is uncertainty of the nature of God that is to fill your need. Fear is uncertainty in the nature of God that is to fill your need. So we cannot walk through valleys of shadow of death because what happens to us, we go, when we walk through, God must have to rescue us out of it. Well, it doesn't say that. It says, I will fear no evil. 
for you are with me, and I'll walk through. So what happens is this. When, we, when we're pragmatism, what happens to us is it goes, oh, you know, God gets me out of the valley. Yes, he does. And no, he doesn't. And when I walk through a valley, the question I have this, fear is the confession he's not with me. And so when I start to actually anchor myself in his nature, anchor myself in who he is. So the question becomes, how do I anchor myself in his nature? How do I get confident about who he is so that I can be confident in him? How do I get confident about him, about who he is, so that I might be confident in him? You understand what I'm saying? How do I get confident about his nature so that I might be confident about him? See, Albert Einstein said something so interesting. He said, I've looked at the universe. I've figured out different things about it. But the question I've come down to, is it friendly? You see, we can talk all these different things about God. But the question we have in our heart is, is he for me? Because if he's for you, then you can actually allow his presence to overshadow you and you don't have to let that solve your problem right away. Because <laughs> let me explain something about this. Let me explain something about this because it's really crucial we get this. Because hurting people don't have piffy statements or pat answers don't, hurt, don't help the hurting heart. So uh, let, me, let me explain an illustration. My son wakes up in the middle of the night. This, he did this for many nights. Waking up in the middle of the night crying, and then, and then he wouldn't go back to sleep. So I come into the room, and this is not what I do. I don't walk into the room and go, hey, let me turn these lights on. Let me show you. Everything is A-OK. There's no problems here. Nobody's here except you. You're good to sleep. You, don't worry. You're going to have food tomorrow. You're good. <laughs> That's not what happens. Right. I walk into the room, and I come in there and go, hey, I'm here. Is there music? Oh, there we go. <laughs> I didn't even see you come up here. Ninja. Here's the thing. The reality is that I don't go in there and say that. I go in there and say, hey, I'm here. Because, because presence answers what our heart needs, not what our head wants. Presence gives us what our heart needs, not what our mind wants our mind wants the answer to how all this is going to work and he's saying i want you to be anchored in my presence anchored in me where me with you is enough moses has this moment too where he says this god who uh i i need to do this thing right now who am i to go in there and do this see in that moment we respond like this Oh, you are a son of God. You have this great calling on your life. This is who you are. God doesn't do that with Moses. God tells him, God tells him, hey, you're the guy I'm with. You're the guy I'm with. And the question is, is his presence enough for me? Jesus says it to the woman at the well. He says, you've been trying to get all this stuff met by all these other things reaching, grabbing, trying to figure out how to find a security in your life. And you think you got it in all these husbands, but you don't. But I will satisfy your thirst. We, we try to satisfy our thirst with the confidence in things that are outside of his living water. And I tell you, it challenges us. It challenges us because we want to make worry responsible rather than trust responsible. And what we 
what we want to do is we want to allow ourselves to get some kind of grip on it because what happens is we're unsure about the nature of God. And God gives us the greatest confidence in his nature. He ends the confusion, parks the clouds, hits the faulty images, he presses the delete button on them. And how he does that is this. By taking on flesh. And Jesus is not the nice side of God. Jesus is the definitive revelation of God. You see, when Paul says this in Colossians, we're going for a little bit here. When Paul says this in Colossians, he says he is the image of the invisible God. What every person heard in that moment is this. Every thought I have about God is now accountable to Jesus. Every thought I have about God is now accountable to Jesus. And we've all woken up in the middle of the night and have to pee with the lights off. And we're trying to figure out how do I get to the bathroom, especially if you're married, you can't turn the lights on. You gotta figure out how do I get to the bathroom without turning the lights on. And you go, okay, I know there's a side table here. I know there's an end table here. I know that my dresser's right here. I know that my pillow's right here. I know that I know the door's right here. We know all this because what the room is like when the lights are on. So what we need to do is when the lights are off, we can't change who God is. We need to remember what he's like when the lights are on. We need to remember this is what you're like, which is Jesus. Which means he's a God that says, I will actually give myself up for you before you can even show an ounce of affection towards me. Before you can ever say a prayer towards me, I said you're worth dying for my life is yours you couldn't even give me a response yet and I said I'm giving to you you could you couldn't even think about how can I attain this because here's the thing when we don't know his nature we reach for our religious ladders when we don't know his nature we figure out how can I get confidence I'll fast I'll pray I'll do these different things because we're insecure on the nature of God and so all of a sudden we're trying to wrangle heaven when faith happens in surrender. And resting in his presence is enough. It may not change your situation, but it will make sure your situation doesn't change you. of what I'm saying, right? It's when you have the uncertainty of a bill. It's when you have the uncertainty of your job. Do I sit and go, your presence is enough? I don't understand why What's going on with my brother there? I don't get it. Oh, but I know you're with me. Here's the thing. I remember sitting in a moment with him. 
going, God, I don't know what you're doing. I do not know what is going on. I will not claim to understand it. But I'm not changing you. And he said to me, Chris, we are further along than you think and we are not where we were. And you see, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You have to get yourself aligned to his presence where his voice says to your heart what your mind can't figure out. See, the pain is so real for people. And in the moment where we don't know what's going on, we try to figure out, oh, I can't, yeah, I can't even, I can't even say anything about this. But here's the interesting thing. Thomas, I didn't say this in first service. Thomas has this moment of deep pain because his savior died. The man that said everything he dreamed would happen died. Disappointment, discouragement. Oh, we love to scapegoat Thomas. We love to go doubting Thomas. But in this room, there's so many Thomases who are not doubting. They're just in pain. And Thomas has this group of friends who come to him and say, he's risen. And Thomas is like, what? And we read into Thomas' statement, emotion, because we have a disgust for doubt. We read something into Thomas' statement. Tom, we go, Thomas is being this atheistic worldview where he says, unless I see this, then I won't believe. And that's not what Thomas is doing. Thomas is saying, you guys saw him? You saw him? Oh, if I see his hands, if I see his feet, if I can put my fingers in his side, I will believe. Because believing oh, is seeing. So Thomas has this moment. Jesus comes into the room that's locked. He walks past the walls. And he doesn't go to the people who saw him. He walks right past them. And he goes right to Thomas, who has all the questions. And he does not rebuke him. He doesn't go, oh, you have little faith, Thomas. He looks right at Thomas and says, Thomas, you said you must encounter me. your hand there put your hand here and then he says to him another statement we read into the words of Jesus where Jesus says do you now believe because you see Thomas he says Thomas you believe because you see and blessed is he now who believes without seeing Thomas he says this to Thomas now because you've tasted me you can enter mystery now you can enter not knowing because you know me. We gotta let go of some of those things that make us feel that way and we gotta allow ourselves to go, I may not know, I may not understand, but your presence is enough for me. I know we're going over in time, I'm probably way over. But both services, I felt this right at the end, just sweeping in of God's presence to establish something, a community that camps around the presence. The center is the presence of God, the anchoring, remembering. And I'll tell you right now, I'll tell you right now, on the road to Emmaus, those disciples could not recognize Jesus because they had preconceptions of how he would change them. 
They thought he would rescue like a warrior king, but he didn't. He died as a humble, suffering servant, and they couldn't recognize him when he was walking with them. And then when he could open their eyes to seeing him, this is what they said to each other, did our hearts not burn within us? They knew it was something like Jesus, but they couldn't give it. I'll tell you right now, God makes you aware of his presence enough for you to respond and waits for you to respond. You're never at a moment without witness to his presence. But the question is, do I let it overcome me or do I resist it? Because it's going to make me feel vulnerable. It's going to make me feel exposed. It's going to make me feel naked. It's going to make me feel like I don't have answers. It's going to make me feel like I was wrong before. It's going to make me feel like I went down the wrong road. But I am aware now and I've got to surrender what everyone thinks about me to respond. Because he entrusts his presence to those who would jealously guard him.